Amen. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And while you're finding your place at the beginning of that chapter, I do want to begin this morning by offering you, our beloved church family, a sincere thanks from Casey, myself, David, and our kids. We have been loved and encouraged so well over the past 10 or so days, over the past few months, and over the last year plus, while we have walked through stormy waters. um, You have been a sweet and a kind grace and encouragement from the Lord, and so I want to publicly tell you all we are so thankful for you. We love you. Um, The fellowship Tuesday afternoon fellowship on what was in ways a a difficult day, but in ways a a joyful day as well. The fellowship over a meal Tuesday afternoon was some of the sweetest fellowship we have experienced, and so we thank you for your kindness and for your love, and we thank and praise the Lord for you. So Hebrews chapter 12, this is a text that has been uh, on our hearts, I think, for uh, a number of months. I almost preached this text Tuesday even, but it's just such a text that, that shows us the endurance of the saint of God, the perseverance that a saint must strive for in the faith. And it comes on the heels of Hebrews 11 where we see these examples uh, of saints who have persevered in the faith. So, I want to look at Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, and consider the idea of the enduring saint. The, doctor, do, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is one that is, of course, sweet to those of us in the Reformed tradition of the faith, and it's important to the Lord. The Scriptures make very clear that those who are in Christ will remain, they will endure, we will persevere and be conformed to the image of Christ. It's in our perseverance, dear friend, that we have assurance of salvation. For if you spring up and then the the heat of the world comes upon you and you wither, that is a sign according to Scripture that you're not in Christ. So it's in perseverance, in remaining, that we know that we are in Christ. Likewise, perseverance and sanctification go hand in hand. If you see a saint who perseveres in all of life, you see one who is being conformed to the image of Christ. Sanctification is just a word for being made more like Christ. So as we consider the enduring saint, we see that idea of perseverance and that idea of our being in Christ, being a saint, being one who is called out and set apart by the Lord. So let's read our text, and then we'll ask the Lord to help us as we study his word today. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. If you will, would you please stand with me as we read Holy Scripture. This is God's word, and it's inerrant, inspired, and it is true. It is the very word of the living, eternal God. And it says, therefore, Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is God's word. May he write it upon our hearts. You may be seated. Would you join me now and let's bow before the Lord in a word of prayer. Our great God, we come before your throne of grace. We acknowledge that you are great and magnificent. You are mighty and holy. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator and sustainer of all things. You are the sovereign ruler of all creation, and nothing comes to pass without first coming through your hand. Lord, we give you all praise and honor and glory for you and you alone are worthy. Lord, we thank you for the great and enduring hope that we have through Jesus Christ. Thank you that in him we have been reconciled, that while we were helpless and enemies, Christ died for us. He called us to himself. He made those who were once his enemies to be his friends. Lord, I pray that we would exult, that we would glory and, and find our joy in the cross. Pray that you would help us, God, to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Pray that looking to his work, we would not grow weary or weak or faint. Pray that we would not lose heart, but that we would press onward toward the prize of the upward call which you have for us in the beloved. Lord, I pray that you would write your word upon our hearts today. We ask, O oh Lord, that your spirit would move powerfully in your people. Lord, that you would show us the sins and the weights that we need to lay aside so that we can run this race with endurance. Pray, Lord, that we would see the example of the saints who have gone before us and that we would seek to imitate them as they have followed after and imitated Christ. Lord, your word makes so clear that the grounds for all of this is that we fix our eyes on the one who gave his life for us. So, Lord, as we hear your instruction and your call for us to persevere and to remain, pray that we would do so under the lordship and the authority of Jesus Christ, giving our lives to him as Savior Master, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are humbled 
and eager and ready to receive and apply your truth. Lord, I pray that your, wo- your word would be food for famished souls. Pray that your truth would instruct us and rebuke us and correct us and encourage us. Lord, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move in us today. That we would be moved to carry out the truths of your word, that they would be applied in our hearts. And that those transformed hearts would be worked out in transformed lives. Lord, help us to receive your word. Pray that your spirit would plant the word deep in our hearts and cause it to bear fruit. Help us, Lord, when we're weak, when we're weary, and when we don't have the strength to continue to run. Help us to run with endurance by the grace that you give. Lord, what a great hope it is that we have in Christ. May he receive all honor and glory and praise for it's due to him and him alone. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So to consider Hebrews chapter 12, I want to briefly take you back to Hebrews chapter 11. That that chapter that is known for repeating the triumphant stories of the saints of the Old Testament. Hebrews 11 begins by saying that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And for by faith, the men of old gained approval. It was faith that was credited to the saints of old as righteousness. It is faith, dear friends, that is credited to us as righteousness. As this chapter tells us of the great saints of old, it comes to this kind of peculiar end. In verses 39 and 40, the writer of Hebrews says, And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Dear friend, do you realize that the saints of old did not understand the perfect righteousness that was in Christ? For he had not yet come. They did not have a picture of of the standard of God's perfection as we do because the Lord has spoken to us through his Son. Do you understand that the saints of the Old Testament, the saints before Christ, did not have a full view of God's plan of redemption? They knew the Lord's promises. They knew that the Lord had promised the Messiah would come, but they did not see the fullness thereof. These saints did not have a full measure of the power that works in us through the person of the Holy Spirit of God. Yes, it was the Spirit who quickened them to faith, but Jesus made very clear that he was going to send the Spirit in a new and a fresh way. He said, I will send to you the Helper. Dear friend, we have the Helper, the Comforter, the one who comes beside, the one who enlightens and illumines 
our minds to the Scriptures. We have the fullness of God's redemptive plan. We even, as New Covenant, New Testament believers, see God's promise for what will happen in the future, in the return of Christ. But despite this, do you realize that those saints of old had a saving, full faith? They had unwavering faith in the Lord, and this is a faith that we must strive to emulate a faith that we should strive to walk in knowing that we have even a better, clearer, more full picture of God's eternal redemptive plan. So as we look at these verses, I want to submit to you this as the primary point. We look backward at the faith of the saints in the past. We look upward to our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, And then we must lay aside every sin and every encumbrance as we strive to run a race with endurance. So we have a human example, we have a divine example, and we look to those examples, and then we are called to run with endurance. We're called to be steadfast, and we're called to remain We run our race because we know that we have been sanctified in and through Christ. We have been counted righteous. His perfect righteousness has been credited to our account, and we run with endurance knowing that. But we also run with endurance knowing that Scripture makes clear that we are to put aside sin, to put sin and flesh to death, and be conformed to the image of Christ progressively as we live. Our past sanctification in Christ and our present ongoing sanctification in and through being alive in Christ come into clearer view and focus as we shift our eyes from what goes on around us and look upward and fix our eyes on Jesus, our Savior. So let's begin by considering the surrounding saints. Therefore, verse 1, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, Now, a brief word to clear up what is a common misconception that we we are not as those in a stadium with the saints of the past sitting in the stands cheering us on as we run our race. Does the Lord give past saints a view into this world and this earth? I, I think so. I think the angels are able to see into this world, and so I believe that past saints are as well. But do you understand, dear friend, that the saints of old are in heaven, and they're captivated by the glory of Christ. MacArthur says to be in heaven is to be separated from all the sin and strife of the world. To be in heaven is to be filled with wonder and love and praise for our great God. If you consider a saint who has gone before you, you should be filled with joy, knowing that they are in the presence of the Savior, worshiping Him in full perfection, with unveiled face, made like Christ. They see him as he is, and they worship him completely. We have this cloud of witnesses surrounding us. So so what is the text telling us? Since we have this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, these are saints who have gone before that serve as examples of enduring faith, 
and they serve as examples of God's faithful forgiveness. So from the saints of old, both those we see in Hebrews 11 and even those in more recent history, we have example of faithful, holy living, exemplary lives, exemplary faith that we should strive to follow. If you're going to run with endurance, you must have examples that you strive after. Again, that's a clear biblical principle. Paul said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Is it not encouraging to see the transforming power of God on display in a fellow saint? As you battle with sin, as the sorrows of life come upon you, as you are beat down with oppression, as you are persecuted for the faith, is it not encouraging to see that the Lord has taken saints before you and carried them through such difficulty? Consider, dear friend, the sacrifice of Abel, the beginning of Scripture. He gives this sacrifice that is pleasing to the Lord. Consider the sin of King David, yet restored by the grace of the Lord. Consider the sorrows of Job, yet at the end of his suffering, he said, My my ear had heard you, but now my eye has seen you. Consider the saints of old. And let them encourage you. Let them press you onward. When when you grow weary and tired as you try to run with endurance, let those saints press you on. And let the grace of God by the power of the Holy Spirit through those examples carry you forward. And you say, why is this encouraging? It's because there is no such thing as a super saint. King David had a calling of the Lord on his life, undoubtedly, but it was the Holy Spirit of God, the same Spirit that lives in you and me, that propelled him forward. You think about the Apostle Paul and all of his sufferings. It was the Spirit of God that lives in you that carried him as he suffered and as he proclaimed Christ. Now, sure, there are those who take more advantage of the opportunities they have to know God and to know His Word and to be sanctified by the power of the Spirit, but it's the same Spirit. It's the same Lord. It's the same Word. It's the same faith. So let these examples press you onward. You know, this is one reason that it's important, I think, for our children to understand biblical history these stories of the Scripture, because those are examples that the Lord uses to mold and to shape their minds and even to see church history. You you think about Adoniram Judson. Talked about him last Sunday, all the sorrows that he went through, and yet he stood firm and remained and preached the gospel, and God blessed his ministry. So you have a great cloud of witnesses. Let them press you on, and let them also encourage you when you sin. Dear saint, you will sin. You will fall short. You will miss the mark. And there are even those in Christ who sin greatly. Again, consider King David. But let these examples of the saints of old remind you that the Lord is faithful to forgive. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and righteous in and through the work of Christ to forgive your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. 
if you are going to endure, if you are going to remain and stand firm through the difficulties of life, you must have hope in a God who forgives. And it's a great hope, and it presses you on. So as we run our race, remember, dear friend, that you have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding you. Let the faith of Abraham, the obedience of Moses, the Lord's restoration of King David, the Lord's faithful forgiveness to his people of Israel, let that press you on. Let that warm your heart to the almighty God that you serve. May the personal discipline of the Puritans, may the fierce boldness of the Reformers put steel in your spine. May it press you on to lay aside, as we'll see in the text, the encumbrances of life so that you may walk more closely with the Lord. Remember, dear friends, as we consider this example, remember that these saints only saw a veiled view of God's plan of redemption. You see it in its fullness. Let that press you onward. Consider the gospel often. For it's that hope that we have in Christ that is fully revealed in the scriptures. It's that hope that presses you on through every difficulty and every storm and every trial and everything that weighs you down. It's the looks to the Savior that will help you and strengthen you and allow you to press onward. So let's then consider the world's weights. This call to run our race with endurance and, and thinking about the weights of the world that hold us down, that we're called to lay aside. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we're going to work through that second part of verse 1 backwards. Considering this command, first of all, let us run with endurance, the race set before us. Scripture is full of illustrations and word pictures that describe the life of the believer. In Ephesians 4, Paul says to walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called as a saint and a follower of Christ. Walk worthy. 1 Corinthians 9 describes the Christian life as a boxing match. Verse 26, Paul says, I do not box as one beating the air. Jesus spoke in many parables using um, life stories, farming, and agriculture to describe the Christian life. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul compared the Christian life to the duty of a soldier, to the competition of an athlete, and to the labor of a farmer. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, our spiritual life is compared to a cosmic wrestling match. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So it's not uncommon for scripture to use a picture to help us understand our Christian life. So the author of Hebrews uses one here. 
to race, and we are to run with endurance. Friend, let me, let me point out two things right there. You are to run in this race. To run is to strain. It is a strenuous activity. It's not a slow, comfortable walk or jog. It means to run, to press, to strain, to labor, to strive, to toil. It's not supposed to be easy. And we're told to run with endurance. Do you understand what that would mean? That means that it's not a short sprint. The Christian life is likened then to a marathon. You run a marathon with endurance. You, you pace yourself, yes, but you strain. You push through the physical tiredness that you experience, and you press on. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 and 25 says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable prize, an imperishable reward. We run to win a prize. We run and we're looking toward a great goal, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. To run with endurance means to run with steadfastness. It's this idea of, as you probably can pick up, persevering and remaining and pressing on. One dictionary says that the, this is the characteristic of a man who is unswerved from all of his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and godliness by even the greatest trials and sufferings. To run with endurance means that you are not swerved, you are not knocked off course by any trial, by any suffering, by any hindrance, by any difficulty. Run with endurance. Run with endurance. You understand running is an individual sport. It's an individual thing. But dear friend, our testimony over the last 14 months assuredly is that the church is the Lord's most gracious and greatest gift to strengthen and to press on the saints as you strive to run with endurance. So it is an individual race, but there are times when the saints alongside of you have to pick you up and carry you. There are times that we have to come along a dear saint and carry them to the finish line. You run with endurance and know that you have a brother and a sister standing right beside you. And know that you have the powerful working of God's Holy Spirit in you to strengthen and to press you onward. So we see the weightiness of this call to run with endurance. But the author tells us how we are to do this. Keep working through verse 1. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Again, we're going to work backwards through that. Lay aside the sin that so easily entangles if you are to run with endurance, you must put to death the flesh. All of it. 
none can remain because it will weigh you down and ultimately it will pull you down and it will take you captive. 2 Timothy 2, Paul says, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. If you run, you don't win if you don't compete according to the rules. Who makes the rules? It's the Lord. Where does he give us the rules? In his holy book, the Bible. If you're going to run with endurance, you run according to the laws and commands set forth in Scripture. How does the author describe sin? He says, let us lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us. It's like a snare. It's like a trap. It's like the weeds that get tangled up around your weed eater and you just have to get some type of knife or blade and you just have to cut them off because they're just tangled up in it. That's what sin does. It entraps you. It seeks to be a secret snare to to come and lure you in and then take hold of you and not let you away. We must lay aside the flesh. You must seek to know how Satan will attack you, and you must be on guard. You must be sober-minded. Calvin says that this scripture is not only talking to outward action, but that we must lay aside the very fountain, even the strong desire or lust which possesses every part of us that we feel we are held on every side by its snares. So it's not only that we have to cut off the outward action, but we have to go directly to the fountain. We have to kill sin in the heart. You can put to death all of these wicked actions, but if your heart still desires them, you are still in sin. Because anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away and new things have come. You are alive in Christ and dead to sin. To run with endurance means to have new desires. To be an enduring saint, you must be a holy vessel. To be an enduring saint, you must be a holy vessel. We run with endurance. We lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us. But we also, don't miss this, we must also lay aside every encumbrance, every weight, every impediment, anything that would hold us back from pursuing Christ wholeheartedly, we must lay it aside. If you're going to run a marathon, you're only going to take the essentials that you must have for the next 26 miles. You're not carrying a backpack with your work laptop. You're carrying only that which you need to run that race. The Christian life is the same. If you are to run with endurance, you must lay aside everything, every encumbrance, every weight, everything that could be a stumbling block, you put it away. We ought to enjoy the Lord's blessings in life, but we ought to enjoy them in their proper place. 
They must never take the place of the Lord as our greatest and chief priority. Matthew Henry describes the encumbrances of life as care for the present life, or fondness for it, which acts as a dead weight upon the soul that pulls the soul down when it should ascend upwards and pulls the soul back when it should press forward. Dear Saint, what do you have in your life that pulls you back when you should be pressing onward? What do you have in your life that when you seek to fix your gaze upward upon the Savior, that it shifts your gaze back down? Friend, that's one thing that suffering will do. It makes all the trivialities of life seem just like that. Trivial, worthless, meaningless. It causes you to look around at the things that you once enjoyed and say, this might bring me happiness, but it brings me no joy. And if it brings you no joy, dear friend, lay it aside because it's a weight. And it's an impediment. And we don't need to create a, a legalistic burden in that. And so I want to make that point clearly. Because the Lord gives us good things and we are to enjoy his blessings in life. We should enjoy them with a thankful and grateful and humble heart. But don't let anything drag you down or shift your focus. Or, or to make you not to look at Christ. Dear friend, love the things that point you to Christ. Love the things that fix your gaze upon the Savior. And that's where we move to, thirdly, verses 2 and 3, looking at the supreme Savior. We're to run with endurance the race that is for us, before us. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus so you don't grow weary, so you don't lose heart. Look at this description of our Savior. Fixing our, our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. To be the author, is it, it means effectively that he is the first cause. He is the one who won and created the way for our salvation. Sproul said of this that Jesus went first on the path of suffering, and he guides us as our captain to the glory that he achieved. That's what it means for Jesus to be the author of our faith. That he went first. And that he's our captain. And he guides us through the path of life. So that we may share one day in his glory. But he's also the perfecter of faith. He's the one that creates it. And he's the one who brings it to its fruition, to its full completion. Jesus is the originator of our salvation, and he is the completer of our salvation. He was earned through him, 
It's brought about by him, and it's kept by him. He starts the work, and he finishes the work. And this is the Jesus to whom we look, the author and perfecter of our faith. We run with endurance while looking to this Savior. What about his work? What did Jesus do? To whom are we looking? He's the author and perfecter of our faith, but how is he the author and perfecter of our faith? It says, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He despised the agony and the shame and the sin that was laid upon him at the cross. Do you realize at the cross, Jesus, the Son of God, perfectly righteous, no sin, never committed even the smallest act against God's will and word, but then he had all of the weight of your sin and my sin laid upon him at the cross. He said, Father, if you're willing, remove the cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. He went to the cross and he despised the shame because someone had to be punished. God's wrath had to be appeased. Justice had to be served. And it was because Christ bore the Father's punishment that you had earned, that you have a chance to repent of your sins and come to him in faith. You turn from your sin, and you give your life to the Savior. Well, there was this desire, great desire, for Christ to avoid the cross. The text tells us that he went for the joy set before him. For the joy set before him. Why was there joy? Because Jesus said, it is my food to do the will of my Father. There was joy because he knew his father's plan was being fulfilled. He knew that he was glorifying the Lord whom he loved. When the burdens of life feel overwhelming, dear friend, press on for the joy of honoring and pleasing and glorifying the Lord. The burdens of life will feel overwhelming. There is time when you will look at trepidation toward the future, wondering what difficulty might be around the next corner. But know when it comes, God's grace is perfected in your weakness. His mercies are new every morning. And for the joy set before you of honoring and pleasing the God of your salvation, dear saint, press on. Press on. Run with endurance. So Jesus, as the author of our faith, went to the cross. He despised the shame, but he went. And he bore the wrath for you. Then the text goes on at the end of verse 2, and it says, And he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So he went to the cross as the author of our faith, and he sits now at the right hand of the throne of God as the perfecter of our faith. 
making intercession on your behalf, do you understand that Christ sits at the right hand of the Father? And when the Father looks upon you, Christ says, that one is mine. I paid for the sin of that saint. That is a sheep of my pasture. And the Father says, yes, he is mine. Yes, he is redeemed. Factor of faith because he ever lives to intercede on our behalf. Philippians 1, Paul said, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. He will lose none who are his. But now come to verse 3. And this will kind of wrap us up. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Run with endurance by considering the one who has endured such hostility, such wrath from the Father, because it was earned by sinners who would be redeemed. When life weighs heavy down upon you, Consider the one who endured the shame of the cross on your behalf. Consider him and don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. When you're weary and heavy laden, come to Christ. Come to him and find rest. Dear friend, to walk with Christ should never be a burden. It should always be a joy. Because his burden is light and his yoke is easy. Come to him and find rest for your weary soul. The great Charles Spurgeon said, think of how he wrestled. Think of how he ran. And let your consideration of him nerve you for your struggle and brace up every muscle of your spirit. Consider Christ. Consider how he ran and how he worked and how he wrestled and let that nerve you up. Let that put steel in your spine as you struggle through the trials and tribulations of life and your ongoing battle with sin. Let it press you onward. Look to Christ. Be strengthened by him in a way that sounds almost trivial but because it's so simple to say but dear friend when your gaze is lifted from the temporary when it's lifted from these things of of the earth that will pass away when you have an eternal mindset that's when you can say the afflictions of life are light and momentary because they prepare for you an eternal weight of glory. Dear friend, if you want the afflictions of life to be light and momentary, you must be pursuing the eternal weight of glory. And you do that by seeking Christ, by setting your mind on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. If you're in Christ, that look to the Savior is enough to press you on for today. 
The Lord's Word makes clear that His mercies are new every morning, so tomorrow you get up and, and you must recenter and refocus yourself on this great mercy of Christ. But look to Him, because He is enough. Friend, what if you're not in Christ? What if you have never come in faith and repentance to the Savior? Dear friend, today must be the day of salvation. Lay aside your sin. Lay aside that which holds you back. Come to Christ. Believe in Him. Believe in His work. Believe that He is who He said He is. Believe that he accomplished salvation at the cross and lay aside every burden of life. Repent of your sins and give yourself to follow the master. Consider the shame that Christ endured at the cross. As you consider that, friends, may we walk in righteousness. May we obey all of his commands. May we run with endurance the race that is set before us by the power of the Spirit, by the grace of the Lord, all for the glory of our Savior. Let's pray.